When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. We're back. We got two microphones now. (laughs) Sorry for last week. We lost the audio. So now we are recording the audio twice. On an external source. So we can talk some of what we spoke about, but there's some new developments in the world, obviously. Forward. Onward we go. All right. So uh, the Taliban is retaking Afghanistan. Have you seen mm-hmm. any of that news? Briefly. Every couple of days, is like, fourth largest city falls to Taliban. Third largest city falls to Taliban. And right before I just got here, second largest city in Afghanistan falls to Taliban. Yeah. Uh, we did not do a great job of rooting them out while we were there. Well, just fascinating. It's, I guess these wars of, I've been trying to, like, frame this and contextualize this, but I was, I don't know, 15 when we started i'm 33 ish now maybe i was 13 it's been about 20 years mm-hmm. uh just incredible like to, to spend trillions of dollars uh hundreds of thousands of people dead thousands of americans and, and thousands of other allied soldiers and then you go for what for what and hopefully and i think there probably were some people whose lives were saved or, or you know they, they have these horror stories of the things that the taliban was doing in particular instances and U- u.s troops rolled in and were able to stop them for a period of time but there's also horror stories of like u.s troops roll in to these towns where warlords are keeping child sex slaves and they're not allowed to interfere because this is the one the one guy i think went and beat the crap out of a warlord and then mm-hmm. was like uh, yeah discharged discharged um because they were standing against the Taliban. That, that was an ally yes. in that particular context. So in any event, I don't, this is, geopolitical stuff is is not exactly my forte right here, but it's just, it seems like a pretty obvious, staggering, costly cluster fuck of loss. Yeah, you know, like, I'd be curious from a, shoulder, from a soldier's perspective if they feel like they accomplished something or if it's incredibly heartbreaking <laughs> to have been there done so much that you thought was for the good of the country just to see that as soon as we pull out the Taliban is right back to ruling. I'd be very curious if soldiers who were on the ground would say totally worth it. You guys uh, don't understand all the good that was done or if they're completely devastated that they maybe thought they had done good for the people there, but upon the Taliban taking over or just seeing all their hard work completely undone. Yeah. I, I, like I said, not a, not a major history buff, but I'm trying to think of instances of quote unquote nation building, which one I think is a bit of a PR shenanigan going on there where, you know, you can claim to be nation building, but really you're going in and securing natural resources for the extraction and <laughs> for, for international companies. But even, even accepting that there are purely generous attempts at nation building, mm-hmm. do they work ever even even if you if your heart was in the right place and you were a big powerful first world democracy and you wanted to uh, bring greater degrees of freedom to areas that don't have it where the culture hasn't 
caught up to the point of demanding democracy for itself. Can that ever work? I mean, I remember the the purple fingers when they would vote and that how how successful that was. They had a first democratic election in Afghanistan. It's like and and it just slid right back because of the people in the country, you know, and and what they believe and want, or at least a portion of them believe and want. And it's it seems like an impossible thing to do. And so I guess as I get older and I wonder if the generation before me, like remembering Vietnam, remembering all these things, saw this coming, was just like, how are you going to do this again? <laughs> like what, what is the belief? How, how is this going to, what's the end game that where this goes well? Well, no one opposed this, not no one, but th- this, at least Iraq, not so much Afghanistan, the war was started under the auspices of they have weapons of mass destruction. So it, was, it didn't, Iraq. That's what I'm saying for Iraq. Yeah. Like, so it didn't, I don't think when these wars started, people thought we were just nation building. Well, there was, we had, and to I don't to think our, they thought we were going to be in there for 20 years nation building. Yeah. Because, I, well, we had to break up the Taliban is what it was. Cause that was yes. where they trained the, the bombers for nine 11 and we couldn't allow that to happen. We had to send Osama bin Laden into running. I imagine the government did a little bit of try the puppy. I don't think the government went to the Senate and announced to the people of the U S Hey, we're going to be there for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. It's going to cost X trillions of dollars. We're going to, Build, try to build the nation to make... I, I suspect that it was not the first pitch that was and, tossed out to the American people. Yeah, and I'm leaning Again, on... Again, I was 14. I'm leaning on time. 11th grade history, but I think that was uh, Vietnam as well, which is like there was this Gulf of Tonkin incident where, oh, we've got to go now. And, and again, I don't think it was... And commit thousands and thousands of soldiers over a period of many years to try to reclaim the country. It's, it's a lot of... I think be, be wary of try the puppy wars. <laughs> it seems like... <laughs> or try good, the puppy anythings. Yeah. You can't ever really try the puppy. You, you got to take the puppy home and now it's your puppy forever. Mm-hmm. Is Yeah, I will say we're out of my wheelhouse. There's a lot of things I would claim expertise on and geopolitics <laughs> and historical wars are not an area that I would claim expertise. So I guess here's just here's just something that's a, that's heartbreaking. Like, you know, we all have paid taxes. Um, just consider that, you know, half of your tax burden has gone to the military for as long as you've been paying taxes if you're a U.S. citizen. And that some portion of that we could figure out exactly how much has been funding this awfulness and that just really sucks all for all for nothing yeah. um well we're deep like, in the like, echo chamber now though i actually would be genuinely curious are there people that don't think it's awful i don't know is this just standard u.s citizen belief that in hindsight this afghanistan uh 20 year thing is not worth the money and the loss of lives for them and the loss of lives for us or are there people who are who think this was perfectly executed Really glad we did it. Not a waste of money. Well, I suspect if you had trillions of dollars in the time of so many soldiers to dedicate to a world problem, you could have done better by cleaning water and developing infrastructure in places that had governments that were receptive and able to use it. I do think that's a big problem is that, you know, I remember at the end of Charlie Wilson's war, there's this scene where Tom Hanks's character, Charlie Wilson, after arming the Taliban, says, okay, now we got to build schools. And they, they shoot him down. They're like, oh, if only we built schools. And I was like, well, really? Like, who's, who's going to administer the schools? Who's going to take the money that we send them to actually build a school and teach liberal enlightenment values? That's just, that's not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that there is a... Uh, I, I feel that to your question, for trillions of dollars, I think it would be really tough to defend this as the best way to increase human flourishing. I'd be interested if hey, well, we both, I, I know that, that we out. both think that, but I'm just <laughs> curious if there's another side to that. I'm curious if there's people who go, you know what? I really think this Afghanistan thing went perfectly from the U.S. perspective. Sure. Uh, so, 
If I could go back in time, I'd do it the same way. <laughs> we can hop topics because you're right. We're, this is this is not our forte. Uh, but well, just, and we also don't disagree. Yeah. <laughs> if we had an interesting disagreement, maybe. Uh, one thing. So Cuomo's out. Andrew Cuomo, uh, the governor, is now done. Uh, it was so. Here's just one paragraph that I read that I think, without of course knowing exactly or even even the whole litany of complaints i thought that this in it of itself was interesting cuomo 63 has consistently denied all of the most serious allegations like groping and as he did on tuesday called other accusations generational misunderstandings he said that the allegations were a result in part of a touchy-feely italian heritage that included kissing on the cheeks and outward displays of affection that he never intended to be sexual in nature in my mind i didn't cross the line with anyone but i didn't realize the extent to which the lines had been redrawn he said hmm. So let's, just as a thought experiment, and this is not to claim this is the case, say that he didn't actually reach under someone's dress, grope them, grab some, fondle someone's breast, which are accusations that are currently out there against mm-hmm. him. Um, if we were to take him at his word, which is not reality, it's, I thought that the most interesting part of everything that I read is I didn't realize the extent to which the lines had been redrawn and he chose the word had instead of have which is like the lines were redrawn in the past tense but i really think what we're experiencing is that like the lines of, uh, th- that he's talking about in terms of what is uh acceptable for that generation oh, i don't know when they were redrawn but clearly everyone in that generation is like scratching their heads <laughs> it seems tremendously confused i don't know that there's any politicians that are uh there's a handful probably but that are over 50, 60 years old that are not really terrified right now, given the types of shit that it seems like likely went down. We think of JFK, you know, like, is there any chance that he didn't grope someone that, that was unwilling? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's, that's a, I don't think that's a plausible reality. Like the fact that he is, um, and he's just in the sixties and then you move forward to the seventies. Biden's got accusations. Trump obviously has, Tons of accusations. Well, the accusations don't line up. Just to be clear, all of these people, the accusations don't end at he kissed me on the cheek. No, no, no. They go even further. So, yeah. So, like, for instance, Biden has some photos where he kisses people on the cheek. (laughs) And people go, yeah, well, that is a difference of age and timing. But he also has accusations where he's sexually assaulting people. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's been canceled for just an age misunderstanding. Now, maybe what's happening is they what are was just... the Al Franken one? What was... Can we Google that real quick? I, th- I don't know what Al Franken did. I have to... So, go ahead. I don't want to... No, I'm people. just saying I think either the, accusation, it, either the accusations are lies or the behavior is inappropriate, is all I'm saying, for mm-hmm. Cuomo, Biden, Trump. You have to pick one or the other. You have to either say, I don't believe this person, or you have to say, they crossed the line. Because I haven't seen anyone who's gotten canceled because they kiss someone on the cheek when they say hello got it and so what you're saying is that's just where he's he's comfortable because he thinks that he can be what could be forgiven is a generational misunderstanding or people are lying i'm not saying people aren't lying i'm just saying andrew cuomo didn't get canceled because he's italian and he likes to hug people and kiss them on the forehead when he says hello to them he got canceled because people don't believe what he's saying they don't believe his defense got it yeah yeah, no one came out and said, oh, yeah, this guy made me uncomfortable because every Friday he'd kiss me on the forehead and say, have a good weekend. He <laughs> said he grabbed me on the vagina, <laughs> you know? So so I think it's just either, well, you, either you believe him or you believe them. Mm-hmm. But he's defending a line that's not why he got in trouble. Well, 
some of again it's 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 tough because we talked about this with Brian Callen. What happens is in many of these cases is that some percentage left less than fifty percent of allegations against someone in these cases will be like severe criminal allegations mm-hmm. of of assault, and then above fifty percent of them will be things that are inappropriate, not criminal, sure, and sort of and hint at at a different pattern of behavior. Yeah, those are used to pile on for for <laughs> character judgments to be created but they're ultimately not the behavior that gets people in trouble mm-hmm. interesting okay I, I i buy that i think that that's that's a fair read um so you're saying which is if there were on any particular politician 15 accusations of um cheek kisses cheek kisses that were that never went beyond cheek kisses yeah. that person while totally fine but there would be accusations they would have to deal with a social media shitstorm, still potentially. For cheek kisses. Yeah. They would be fine. Okay. They wouldn't have to step down. Got it. All right. Just Speaking sure. of Brian Callen, we talked about this on the Lost episode, which is what I'm going to call it from now on. Oh, wow. We, we talked about this. <laughs> the Lost episode about how Brian Callen, I'll do the quick version. Basically, he was on the fighter and the kid. Then accusations came out from 20 years ago. There's no evidence in either way. So if you believe the accusations, he's a terrible person. He should not be able to work ever. If you believe him, they're totally made up and he should not be penalized for having done nothing wrong. So the conclusion was he stepped away from the fighter and the kid for a while and then just came back, just showed back up one day and now is just doing the fighter and the kid. I wasn't going to bring that up again because we already talked about it, except I saw another example of it. And I was curious how often this happens. Do you remember the bachelor couple where the girl went to a plantation yeah, party, party in college and got aggressively canceled. We talked about it on the podcast, yeah, yeah. her, her boyfriend, fiance, who's black broke up with her over it. Yeah. They're totally back together. Well, that was a while ago. Yeah. 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 I just didn't know this. Yeah. And so that, so I was like, Oh, I wonder if this is a pattern that happens where people get put in timeout cancellation timeout. Oh, David Dobrik is just back. Is he? Yeah. I wonder if you can make a list of the amount of people that Get, you could probably get, get it down to a science in terms of, and I'm sure that the PR agencies have done this. I would not be the first. They go, look, 96 days, time out. You come back. You don't talk about it or you do talk about it. Um, increasingly, I'm seeing, it's it's just fascinating to watch that the ravenous mob really does move on. They really, like, you can make like, I'm back. You can be cheeky as you want if you wait as enough time and then you're totally fine uh yeah brian callen is on he's not he had to hide on patreon for a while yeah and now he's just on the fighter and the kid podcast and youtube well it's it's uh, you just see a logan paul we this person cannot be allowed to make content he he is uh irresponsible and this and that comes back one of the biggest youtubers making tens of millions of dollars a year doing fights brian callen's back the woman who was from the bachelor is back uh, it's just, yeah, it's interesting. The, the A lot of times these cancellations seem like it's more about saying you're sorry and going and just sulking in the corner for a little bit and then coming back to the exact life you had. Well, some of them matches what we would say is like, I don't want to step too far. It is, this is the criminal justice system that we have, which is you go to timeout for a while. You're just not allowed to participate in society and that's your punishment for a period of time that isn't your whole life and then you're uh integrated back into society the problem that i see is that that is the process by which you get put in time out is one where a jury of your peers has a set of laws that you were aware of mm-hmm. or, or had the opportunity to become aware of that you were in violation of and 
you know, and now now you have to go to timeout. With Brian Callen of the ones that you listed is the most disturbing because the difference between what he says happened and what the woman says happened 20 years ago is the difference between literally nothing happened, this is a good person, and this guy is a rapist. Mm-hmm. And the solution is still timeout, which is... Yeah, it's six months, like, it's no jail time, but you do, but you also can't work. It's un, it's unfair in one of the directions, oh, it's, depending it's, on what it's, actually happened. And it could be, it, like, if he's a rapist... Timeout is not enough. Right. <laughs> like if, we have jails for happen, that. Then he's, yeah. yeah, no. So that's the thing is, it's like, well, this is just a weird compromise yeah. that definitely doesn't fit the crime or complete lack of crime. Yeah, I've been thinking about compromise, you know, as regards obviously personal relationships, but it's just this like nobody, you know, what do you do when two people want different things <laughs> to a sense of society and they're adamant and they can't find a middle ground? It's mm. like, well, let's just give them part of what they want to see but not all of it how and have you it's, been thinking about it in your personal life uh just in in terms of relationships that i see with other people and relationships that i'm in and and uh you know me i'm not a compromiser like my philosophy for many years has been if i want to do something with someone i do it with them mm-hmm. and if i don't want to do something with someone i say no well you were a compromiser and then like four years ago you decided that that was a bad <laughs> strategy yes. so it's not like your entire life has been that way correct you were that way until age 30 you were you were a compromiser you think so until 30 till we moved to la um yeah maybe maybe 29 yeah so so in the last so so i've just i've been thinking about that yeah so i've had phases of my life one where compromise was you know because i think it is uh culturally it's the default thing when mm-hmm. you can't find a solution between two people you uh, just make sure neither of them is happy. You split the difference. <laughs> and then I kind of had that, you know, the Chris Voss never split the difference, which is, um, at least in personal relationships, if you find yourself needing to, and by the way, I still to this day compromise on small things. Like you don't want to eat at this restaurant. I don't want to eat at this one. We have a friend in town. We want to go with them. I'll go to the restaurant that is not my favorite. You'll go to the restaurant. Like this happens yeah, yeah. all the time. Um, but for the larger things I have elected, not to, uh, never split the difference, you know, has been, uh, an interesting guiding principle. And it's just one that, are you coming back to assessing that again? I'm assessing that again. Uh, but I, and I don't know where I land because what is, what is fascinating to me is that people tend to advocate compromise. Like a lot of people that you'll speak to in life, nobody will tell you don't compromise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very, very few people. When you're talking about personal relationships, they will they will always tell you, well, that's what relationships are. They're this. And my, my answer to that has always been that I don't want relationships. Like mm-hmm. if you're telling me that relationships are uh, one or both parties consistently not getting what they want, then we should both jump back out into the dating pool or the friend pool and find someone with whom we are more compatible. Um and so, anyway, we, the word compromise came up, but it just it just triggered that that thought in my head, which is something that I am thinking mm-hmm. about. Uh, I still have the same thoughts that I have for the last four years, but I am I am investigating them to see if they are uh, good ones, bad ones, supportive, that sort of a thing. Cool. Any thoughts on the compromise? No, I mean the way my parents advocated it was that you just take into account who cares more. I'm not saying that's the right call, but that's how they did it. So you don't you don't just go 50-50 on everything. Sometimes if something's incredibly important to one person and a mild inconvenience the other, you just go 100-0 that direction yeah. or 100-0 the other direction. 
or 75, 25, 50, 50. Uh, I don't know. I'm not, a, I wouldn't say I'm a marriage expert by any mm. means. So definitely, definitely more experienced at the beginning stage of a relationship. The longest <laughs> relationship I've ever had is four years. Yeah. So, um, and you and I have talked about this, which is interesting. And it's not, not to say that I have the solution. What I have are criticisms of a lot of the systems that exist out there mm. and, and without per, perhaps a better one myself, but what we know both you and I from relationships, the way that that gets exploited, the who cares more is that one party or both parties learn that the way to get what you want is to to make a bigger deal of things yeah, because whoever well, cares more will get the other one to cave and you that typically winds up consistently falling to one party yeah, in a relationship. No, it's not a, that that is not a good system for me personally because I've tried very hard to just not care about most things. Mm-hmm. I've gone for equanimity a lot and so the idea is that yeah, listen, whatever, I don't care. I'm just going to be happy and have a good time regardless of the circumstances. That's something I've personally worked for you know what i mean is that that ability to just go yeah this, it's all good it's all good mm-hmm. when you have that mindset and then you just have a partner who doesn't have that doesn't mindset, have that yeah then they will almost always care more so i'm not saying that that's necessarily a good strategy mm-hmm. it's just the one that i got yep from my parents yeah so it is interesting to see that a society society we are struggling with i guess the same thing that happens in a relationship which is like some degree as a society, we got to deal with each other. <laughs> you know, we have very different ways of viewing the world and very different things that we want to happen. So what are we going to do? It's just nobody gets what they want. Everybody gets kind of gets what they want. <laughs> you know, Brian Callens in timeout. Um, it's, it's an... Uh, Take turns having a an, president you like and then a president yeah, you hate. it's an interesting and Well, now it's your time solution. to hate everything that he does. Yeah. And next time I'll hate everything that your person does. Yeah, this is kind of... I, I'll just say it. It's a dumb thought. I am so... When I think of jails in the same way, I have the same reaction to compromise, which is like, this is such a basic thing. Like a jail is just a wall that's tall. And in thousands of human years, we haven't figured out how to deal with it if you're on the inside. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like no matter what happens over the last several thousand years, humans haven't figured out how to teleport or whatever. Like jails are structurally very similar to what they used to be. Mm -hmm. And it's like our solution to conflict is structurally still this this is yeah kill each other and and i guess compromise is better than that but it's it's still the same inelegant solutions that have been around for for a long time no yeah and something i try to remember is that tim Tim ferris was one of the first people that got me to look at how it's done and go this might not be the best way that things are done so if every relationship person advocates compromise that doesn't mean compromise is the best solution sure but also just because everyone walks on their feet doesn't mean you should try to walk on your hands. So just because everybody does it and advocates for it doesn't mean it's not the best way to do things. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that second part once you remember, once you learn that first part. So you go through school, you try to be a good person, you do what you're told, you go through the machine, you end up hating the machine and you find something that breaks the machine. You either discover open relationships or polyamory or uh, how to change your uh job to being an entrepreneur something something where you go the old this old ways are broken and this new way is better and i'm a genius for figuring it out and then i think hubris can take over and you can just start to think that you have the solution to everything that's better than how things are traditionally done Mm -hmm. and i just think it's worth remembering it's not you don't just walk on your hands because everyone walks on their feet so sometimes everyone's saying that compromise is solution actually doesn't tell you at all if it's a good solution or not <laughs> it could be it could be a terrible one yeah so yeah no steve jobs has that quote that uh everything in the world that is out there was just made up by people just like you and i think it's it's a wonderful thing that 
teens and 20s are just people that think that they know better because they're wrong, but they'll find something. Mm-hmm. Like like we found something that that in entrepreneurship that our entire social support system was completely against mm-hmm. and never would have supported. And we it was only with that ridiculous hubris of youth that you go, I'm going to ignore everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to. And I suppose you can you can cultivate a sense of when to do that and hopefully maintain that into your later years, but it is much less common as you get old because eventually you defy, you defy, defy, and you get whacked and you start to realize some of the value of the commonplace and traditional ways of doing things. Um, or you then, just change. And then you get an old and stodgy, you become an old stodgy conservative who is just, you know, set in their ways. <laughs> I think also your values just might change as you age. When you're young, I think variety, excitement, I think there's a lot of appeal to that. And as you get older, all of a sudden, peacefulness. I think just your wiring changes, your testosterone and biochemistry changes such yep. that all of a sudden sitting sitting on a balcony that overlooks the ocean and watching the waves for 30 minutes is something that you think sounds amazing. I want whereas, a lawn. Whereas at 21, you're just like, <laughs> I would never do that. I, w- yeah. I got to go conquer the world. I have that, that thing in my head that's just telling me to go, you know, burn down cities and rebuild buildings or whatever. So burn down cities. <laughs> I didn't have that one. <laughs> oh, I think I actually think a lot of people, maybe not, they wouldn't phrase it that way, but they have that sense that they have to go destroy the structure that exists and create something new. Yeah. Go yeah. make something themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So people ask me about charisma on camera. And this, I'm talking to Ben one-on-one. This is how we would discuss if we were in my apartment. On the, there happens to be cameras on us right now. But if you go back and watch some of my videos where I know that I'm not speaking to a person, I'm speaking to mass audience, I'm way louder, way more expressive because you need to capture attention. Mm-hmm. So before, if, you, if you're ever curious about charisma on camera, I would literally try to channel Jim Carrey before I did <laughs> yeah. it. And you will fall short of Jim Carrey because you can't hit, nobody can hit Jim Carrey. Yeah. But for you, that's going to take you to a level that is much more engaging. Uh, so that's one piece of it. We just mentioned the never say you're sorry. Um, and it's probably not never, but you, it's far less than in mass communication, I think, than in personal lives where you say you're sorry when you mean it. Um, and it's probably, hopefully, more frequently. Um, I can riff on a couple others. Anything come to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, I think for certain, if you're a political pundit or a debater, I think there is a massive incentive to not steal man the other side, mm. to not take their arguments in good faith, to go to ad hominem if you start to lose, to deflect, just basically to not try to get to the truth together. And I think the people who try to get to the truth together, they just don't collect the audience of the person who goes hard at the echo chamber, tries to destroy the other side. If they're losing an argument, runs away, ad hominems, ducks it. Interpersonally, obviously people are going to hate you if you do that. (laughs) You're much better off foregoing your ego, forgetting that you even have a side, engaging from a place of curiosity and genuinely working together to try to find the truth of something. That way, even if people disagree with you, they will sense that in your tone and your eye contact in the fact that you're going more Socratic instead of coming in hard with statements and they will like you even if you disagree, mm-hmm. but you won't, it seems if I just look at the people who are cultivating massive audiences, the people that do make it to the top are not engaging in that way. Yeah. I think, yes. Uh, another one that just occurred to me is, is monologuing is a skill that is almost necessary for a lot of mass communication. You sure. need to be able to talk at length 
while the debate partner is cutting in or while you're alone in a radio booth or you just need to be able to go, 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 go. And there's a degree to which we talk about not getting run off your sentence in interpersonal interactions. And that's good, especially in groups. But as you shrink the group sizes down to just one-on-one, reacting and listening and shutting up becomes increasingly more important for for the relationship mm-hmm. than it does. And I think in mass communication, listening is <laughs> it's, it's just not an important skill in the same way that it is in interpersonal relationships, yeah. which isn't to say it's a zero. No, one of the most well-liked people I know who makes an incredible first impression every time I introduce this person to a friend, I'm like, oh my God, I really like that guy, is an incredibly good listener. He gives you his full attention. He is clearly not in his own head trying to think about what he's going to say. And he tries to empathize with you. Like if you express an emotion, if you express joy, he is joyful. If you express sadness, he gets sad. And that's impossible to do (laughs) if you're Ben Shapiro because you're talking to a camera. No one is even there for you to listen to. You have to monologue. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, people can, you can get the sense that they're, oh, the only way to be charismatic is to have the spotlight on you the whole time. But that's not the case. That's just if you want to have a radio show. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can't you can't be that super charismatic listener when you're alone with a microphone and a camera. Yeah, and just the last thing to, I'll piggyback on the point that you said, but the uh, you were you were sort of leaning into this, but it's also controversy is uh, like the lifeblood mm-hmm. of of popularity in mass media. So if I'm thinking of making a video and I can make one on like why things are uh, really better than you think and everything's great (laughs) or like this person is awful or this thing is awful or that whatever it's it's obvious which one is going to do better from a mass communication scale but if you do that in your personal life yeah it's just not going to play as well as seeing the bright side of things or or being the person who brings two disparate sides together Mm -hmm. uh I wanted to use the term peacemaker, but I just watched Suicide Squad. That has, that has like a different no spoilers, uh, but yeah, that has a different connotation. <laughs> so I'm, but being a peacemaker is a really valuable skill, one on one and in small groups, and is just less valued, I think, at a mass communication level, where dividing and and really leaning into one particular tribal group tends to tends to make your star uh, accelerate towards the top. Yeah, no, and I think I think the Some Good News show was an example of the fact that people do hunger for that optimism. Mm-hmm. Some of the time, some people do, but that and, and never eclipsed to, you know, one of the top YouTube channels. I think it's, you can be successful that way, but it's just not the most successful way to get the most eyes and coverage, which is drama. Wasn't and, it also like very... Uh they weren't taking issues that people were, it was like, here's a kitten, you know, it was oh, like, of course, yes. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, cat videos do good. And when you have celebrity guest appearances every three minutes, wow. That's like the idea that it's based on good news and bringing people together. I don't want to conflate that. It was based on cute, uh, puff piece, not puff piece, cute stories that were, that were really nice, but mm-hmm. not in taking difficult issues, steel manning the other side and saying we have a common humanity behind Correct. all of this. Yeah. Correct. No, and Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris tried to do that with, I forget if it was free will and determinism or if it was atheism versus theism. Yeah, that one. But it was because they were trying so hard to be magnanimous and steel man each other, long and complicated, and they dived into the nuance of language, and I don't think was 
it's not what they're either of them became most well known for. Well, I have to take this because we never have transitions this good. <laughs> uh, Sam Harris, that is not happening right now. Very interesting. So Brett Wine, um, I always forget Harvey Weinstein, Brett Weinstein. I have that like story. Einstein, yeah, yeah, Einstein, but Weinstein. Uh, and Sam Harris have been making. So Brett Weinstein has been talking a lot about uh, about the vaccine and ivermectin as a potential treatment. Sam Harris is very against that. He thinks that the studies do not uh, show it, and any distraction from the need to get vaccinated uh, basically makes puts blood on your hands. Um, and so they've been talking separately, and then Sam made a pointed podcast at Brett. Brett responded. Every one of the comments was like, you guys just got to talk. You just guys got to talk. Mm-hmm. And Sam came out and said he wasn't going to. He would not have him on. Why? He, because you the, now is not the time to be asking questions like this. And he finds, I mean, I was blown away. Two guys that have sat next to each other that have steel-manned arguments. I, I presume he has, he calls a friend. He has a lot of intellectual respect for. He will not, I guess, platform him on his podcast and have a discussion about this so that, because what's happening when I listen to both sides of it is like, they are kind of whizzing by one another in terms of the, the, the things that they're addressing and the things that they're skipping. Yeah, of course. Um, it is, they need, if, if, if any resolution were to be to have on this matter, if Sam, I suppose, respected this side and thought it was worth doing, which he is allegedly claimed to do, which is the reason he made the first podcast addressing it, they need to sit down and speak directly to each other in a not asynchronous manner. Well, I don't understand the argument that I'm not going to have a debate person on because I don't want to plot for them because if you think if you've thought about the issue deeply and you are confident that their side isn't well thought out he, then you'll he thinks that it'll even just muddy the waters and it'll just and it'll encourage more for people instance, not to get Christopher vaccines. Hitchens might be too old for a lot of people but yeah. go check out well if you're a theist don't check out <laughs> Christopher Hitchens but if you want to see someone who's not scared to debate the other side Christopher Hitchens would never duck a theist because he always felt like he was going to come in and just smash any of their arguments and make them look inferior to his own arguments, which I mean, not necessarily again, the healthiest interpersonal <laughs> debate style, but he was confident in his side of the argument. So I'm, I'm a, a bit confused if you're very confident that ivermectin is inferior to the vaccine and the science proves it, send your studies to the other person ahead of time so they can review them, sit down and guide them there just show them that they're wrong. I'm I'm really blown away that he won't. And I wish I had the quote because I don't want to mischaracterize Sam. But what I'd written here that I believe is the the reason is that, you know, asking questions in the middle of a pandemic, this is not the time. And because it's, you know, we can't muddy the waters. We need to, we need to stay on message, which is get the vaccine. And I am blown away by the laziness of that argument yeah. because we are always in a pandemic. And Sam knows this. We are in a pandemic of hunger and water crises. And, it, and there are people dying every single day of horrible things. Well, also, even if you just assume this is a special time, this is the time to ask questions about. Well, no, there's, look, there's there's an argument to be like, there's a nuke going off in one hour. Uh, you just shut up and do what I'm telling you so we can find this thing and disarm it, right? That, that there's, there's Yeah, but a, what if a, I want to ask you a question about where the best way to find the nuke? Don't ask any questions. Okay, I think your solution for finding the nuke is inferior to this other method that involves GPS tracking. I should just shut up and not do it, then we might not find the nuke in time. Sure. And, but I mean, the, the other side of that is we might spend 36 minutes determining that you that my way is best. So let's spend three. 
that's kind of how I feel. Cap it at three. This is what I'm saying. Can't you guys just have a conversation after 16 months that you have to stay on message? This is what is, I'm saying. Is cra- and this is my, well, okay. So here's my point. I just gave you an hour. It's been months. This thing's going to go on for years. We're not like even if 100 percent of the U.S. was vaccinated, we just have this problem in eight months of new variants coming around and and having yeah. the same issue. So it's it's uh, no. I just I am you- shocked that 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 now is not the time is being employed and that we need to stay on message it's like from sam harris who i who i admire um i would love for them to talk i really just want them to talk and just to complete the point that i'm saying like the idea that because people are dying and we need to stay on message is you know when sam talks about and he has in the past i've listened to podcasts the the uh people that die every day of malnutrition and malaria and lack of access to clean water that's a pandemic that's going on nonstop. and if you stayed on message and just said, everybody whip out your checkbooks, whip out your checkbooks. You got to send money, send money, send money, send money, send money. That would, that this, it seems that this argument that he has applies there as well. But when he discusses effective altruism, he allows for, well, what's the best way to do this? Can we, what if we tried this? How much is the right amount? Like he, he embraces this idea of trying to find the best solution mm-hmm. to a pandemic. Uh, and I'm, I find it really, I, I don't want to be too, accusatory here intellectually lazy to to think of this as a totally unique situation that isn't reflected every single day in the the deaths that that the preventable deaths that have occurred every single day and will continue to occur Mm -hmm. um and they could be stopped by collective mass action which is sort of the same um it's the same solution for the pandemic is collective everybody chips in we can stop this, and that is also true of you know malaria and mm-hmm. and and other serious problems. Yeah. Well, so I'm uh, going to get my vaccine today. Yeah. So uh, take that in mind when I say mm-hmm. I think that Sam's unwillingness to debate this issue is does not look good for in terms of his faith that his vaccine argument is strong because. If you're not willing to talk to the other side, I think part of that comes from a fear that you're... If you thought talking to Brett Weinstein would result in convincing Brett Weinstein to go get the vaccine... Well, he doesn't think that. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, then yeah. he would then he would be excited for this opportunity to inform millions of people about the right side of things. Because as is, Brett's audience is obviously listening to Brett and probably not getting the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So if you do think this is the right thing for everyone to go get this vaccine... The best thing you could do is talk to Brett and change his mind. Yeah, it's it's. It, look, I don't want to pick apart his argument without him here, but it seems inconsistent because he talks about how you have these people, but then he mentioned that he was at this restaurant. There was these young waiter podcast listener style people that were unvaccinated, mm-hmm. and presumably he doesn't think that they're all crazy zealots. Like he thinks that they're podcast listeners who are interested to a degree in, in some intellectual conversation debate. Uh, the fact that he doesn't think that he would make inroads that that while simultaneously you know that that, that they are stuck in this way that they want that they are religious in their, their yeah, especially if, if he knows brett likes brett has talked to him in the past i feel like this is how you feel then the best thing you could do is convince brett that the vaccine makes a ton of sense and then have him get it and tell his audience and then you would have made a change in millions of minds yeah, well, I guess, okay, to, to defend him, he's unsatisfied with Brett's response to his thing, but I guess he can't see that his thing, his initial podcast was uh, 
didn't steel man, didn't address the deepest yeah, yeah. considerations. And Brett's response to his didn't direct, uh, probably didn't address the deepest criticisms. You know, like they, they addressed, I think both of them, the, the easy pickings mm-hmm. off of the other one. And when they were picking apart the other side, yeah, they picked the weakest parts and said like, he pointed, one thing that Sam said was Brett pointed to this Twitter thread and this Twitter thread was really bad. And it's like, Brett made a throwaway comment about this. Like, <laughs> this is not the guts yeah. of his argument. And I'm sure it cuts both ways. You know, I'm not saying that Brett is, uh, this is what happens when you don't sit down in front of someone and aren't held accountable immediately to the things that you're saying mm-hmm. and to the, to the relationship as it's developing. So it's a, it's a real bummer. Justin, get them both on the podcast. <laughs> Brett will sit where Charlie's sitting. Sam will sit where I'm sitting. You'll moderate. <laughs> That'll be great. Get it done. Um, so let me see. Oh, this was just, you know, the Olympics. We talked about the Olympics. We actually went, did more of the trans stuff, but I'm, we talked about it and we lost it last week. So uh, if you guys want us to talk more, we can, but I am tired <laughs> of that. We can release There's, a very robotic conversation if people yeah. really want. Well, just one thing that was interesting, I've mentioned this last week and I thought I should include is in terms of Olympic shenanigans, uh, there's the Russian committee that's out there. The Russian team was banned mm-hmm. for the doping. And now there's, I forget exactly what their name is, but there's this Russian committee federation that is basically all just Russian athletes. Yeah, I wa- great um, documentary. I think it's called Icarus. I watched it with my family. Yeah. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Really, really interesting on the Russian doping scandal. There's, uh, and I'm sure it goes beyond this, but I was just, because my brother's into basketball, like Jaleel Okafor and Gabe Vincent, who are two guys born in America, lived in America. I don't know if they visited Nigeria. Jaleel Okafor, I looked into his Wikipedia. His paternal grandfather was born in Nigeria, but neither of his parents were born there. He was playing on the, Niger- the Nigerian basketball team, mm-hmm. which is like, look, at this rate, if you're just going to hand out uh, citizenship or nationality or or, or like anyone could play anywhere. Like Giannis could be on on the U.S. team at at this rate because he spent more time in the United States of America than this other guy. And if it's just who you're handing out nationalities to, and some countries are willing to give it out more freely, it seems kind of silly. Um, and then the oh, this was hailed as like a very uh, great sportsmanship. The sharing of the gold medal for the high jump. 
Oh, you didn't like it? It's ridiculous. I loved it. D- dude, why didn't all of the competitors share a gold medal? We won't even have to jump. We'll mm-hmm. just share gold. Here's what you offer them. You can share silver. Two silvers. But there aren't two golds. No, I thought it was great. <laughs> why? Because they went through the they went through the competition. It's not like they just agreed at the start not to compete. And they, I believe, jumped and jumped and jumped and out jumped everyone in the world and then made it to a height neither of them could get to. At which point the rules say you guys can have a jump off or just call it a draw. I think if they draw, they should be two silvers because there's no first place. Look, you can't invent a second gold medal. I, I really they think did. They I did. They did. okay. This is in the rules. It's not like they asked them to redraw sure, the sure. charter. And, and, for their and as I've argued, as I've argued, the IOC can everybody can get a gold medal. You know what I mean? You don't have to dribble in basketball. Whoever wants to participate, eliminate weight classes, do whatever you want. Uh, that that is an uplifting moment. I thought was. I think the real uplifting is, hey, do you want a gold medal and do you want a gold medal? Yeah, no shit, I want a gold medal. I'll take the full pay, I'll take the full everything, and I don't have to jump anymore. What a what a wonderful moment of sportsmanship. No, two silvers. Can you satisfy? Can you stand in second place with someone else? And if they'd accepted that, I'd have been. I'd have thought that was a good moment of sportsmanship. Oh, I thought it was great because it's not a moment of sportsmanship for both of them. Mm-hmm. It's a moment of sportsmanship for one of them. So the the backstory is that they were friends, and one of them got injured and was, well, I don't even know if they were friends actually, but one of them got injured and was struggling to compete. And the other guy came to his hotel room and gave him a, a motivational, had a motivational conversation that convinced him to keep competing. And he came back from injury all the way back to being the second best in the world. But the guy that gave him the speech is still the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And so when they had that jump off, it's not that it was a great moment of sportsmanship for both of them. It was a great moment of sportsmanship for the guy that everyone knew was going to win. And they asked him. He lost nothing. He got his gold medal. Here's what I'm saying. Two silvers. And now I understand see what you're just, saying. You don't have to keep repeating it. But I think it was still cool because he's basically saying, I'm willing to share the spotlight with you. I could be called the best in the world and I could have this podium to myself and I'm willing to share it with you because I am close to you and I love your journey and because I don't mind. I don't mind that I share this glory with you. I just like. It's not a, it's not a moment of sportsmanship for the guy that everyone thought would lose. It's just him being really excited that he came back from injury and. You know, he's just happy he got this gift from his yeah. friend. But I think it is a moment of sportsmanship for the guy who says, I don't mind sharing the podium with you. I don't mind. Literally, I'm sharing all of my uh, international attention with you. Well, either person could have one. Maybe the other guy would have one. But it seems to me like, I don't know, uh, this is, you know, going three rounds in a fight or five rounds in a championship fight. And then, hey, do you guys not want to go to the judges and you're both winners? You both get all the money. It's just like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. If I have any shred of belief that I might not win this, mm-hmm. which is why I, I I still like, there's no sacrifice on behalf of the guy who took the gold medal, all of the spotlight, hugged his friend. Uh, and, and I go, well, if you had a bunch of friends competing at the beginning, why not just jump over a four foot pole and then just agree that we don't want to jump anymore and we're all gold medalists? Like give everybody a, a tin medal at that point if, if you want to share it with, 10 competitors mm-hmm. is, is my sense. Oh, we can just agree to disagree. I loved okay. it. I, I thought yeah, it was I awesome. Like it. I thought it was lame. <laughs> um, what else do we have here? Oh, D&D. We had this announcement last time. Mm. We are looking for help. Uh, we're trying to film it. My apartment kind of sucks for this, but we're trying to squeeze it in there. So we, we are trying to set up a show, and the roles that we have available are for sort of video editor slash producer. Um, and potentially another player in Los Angeles. 
So uh, right now I'm in Santa Monica. You will likely be here for the foreseeable future. If you would like to play, uh, let us know. This is a non-paid position. You get to play Dungeons & Dragons. Um, but there's going to be a form in the description beneath this YouTube video. For video editing, this would be a potential pay and combination of uh, profit share for whatever we make. Profit share is not expected to be a lot, but you would get uh, a chunk of whatever that could is. Be, could be the next Charisma on Command. Yeah, it uh, could be. Hey, the Charisma on Command at the beginning, we had we had no idea. I would say this one, this one uh, I am less faithful in, but we're going to be putting money and time and attention and effort into this thing to get it to try to go. I mean, I would have told you Charisma on Command's cap was 70 grand a year in revenue. Sure. Uh, are you going to are you going to mention what you're looking for in a player? In a player, someone who's played uh, for sure. We we realize that teaching the rules is is tough. Mm -hmm. um, but bonus points for and like for uh, having some sort of background that makes you a really good player. So improv comedy, voice acting, things like that. Um, if you have an audience or anything like that that you can spread this to, that obviously is super helpful. And then I guess the third thing is like just do we play well and have chemistry mm -hmm. together which which we would see in maybe you know one shot sure. in terms of video editing uh any sort of background streaming or showing dnd would be perfect but really just someone who is capable of taking several hours of footage from one or two cameras and imagery from tailspire which is a game platform where you can sort of move people's um tokens around and Bringing all that together, adding sound effects to make a really fun visual depiction of what's going on. So it's it's a very creative job. You're almost the director in terms of choosing what camera do I want? Who am I punching in on? Am I zooming here? Is this mm -hmm. a big moment? Do I add a sound effect? Um, so that one, I reckon that's a very important role. So we want to try to get that one right. If you're interested in either, throw your uh, your name and some of your info in the Google form in the description. Is there cool. anything that you wanted to add? Yeah, I would say, the way I think you phrased it last week I liked, which is basically... Uh, we're looking for people to play who can collaborate with us to make this amazing and make it successful mm -hmm. as a professional enterprise. Charlie and I are going to cover all of the costs. So a professional DM, professional to make the boards, the cameras, the producer, the video editor will fund it. But it's I don't want it to be us also having it on our back to succeed. So the goal with the players is to bring people in who somehow, some way through their playing or their audience or skill, maybe they play and are the video editor, can collaborate and add value such that the enterprise is better for them and their involvement. So if you think that that's you, let us know in the forum below. Yeah, hopefully this works. But also, um, do we want to announce Chris's open spots as a DM? I don't, well, I don't know. He is, I'll ask him. We'll do it next week okay. um, because we're actually maybe taking this week. So, <laughs> well, Yeah, I think we are taking this week, yeah, right? I think so. Um, okay, so there's a handful of things we talked about last week. I'm just going to breeze through them because, you know, maybe... Is it even worth it, though? Is it worth bringing up a topic half-heartedly? Or are you going to try to... You think you can summarize the full... Well, if you want to comment on it, here's... I looked at Russell Brand's video. Tell me if this is something that people might be interested in. Uh, someone, in my opinion, has been taking Russell Brand's content and he's got a new social media marketer because the titles that he's releasing are... Uh, the system is all caps rigged, triple exclamation point. If you don't feel caps angry after watching this, check your pulse. So that's just an example of one video, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of caps, a lot of exclamation points, a lot of uh, stuff that is intended to uh, get you to click, to, to rage click or to confirm a, an angry bias that you mm -hmm. have, which is interesting because when you go to Russell, while he does talk about politics, he's, he's also very zen and believes in inner peace. 
is the most important thing and mm -hmm. the media which is just designed to outrage you is a huge problem and it was interesting because i don't think he's writing these but those videos do quite well now so that person's going to maintain their job oh is that doing better uh it's doing well enough and it's it's a habit that he's going to i think probably lean into and continue i wasn't sure that would work out for him uh i think what works on social media has been well established <laughs> it's like does this cut negatively uh, is is a really good consistent way to hmm. draw viewership. Um, does this make you afraid or angry? Is is a really good way to to get viewers. Uh, so we'll see if that person maintains their job. But just the general idea is that the algorithm is built to reward. Are you looking at some of these? Yeah. How big tech fucked you? Yeah. So it's it's like, are you serious? So aggressive. Oh my gosh. Um, and I know Russell might say that, but but it's. The fact that he's leaning into this particular content, the fact that it's getting views is not his fault. It's not even the algorithm's fault. It is just it's the way that humans are wired is that we are more interested in stuff that makes us angry because it's a survival threat and we need to focus on it and stamp it out. And these, these, these built-in human biases are uh, make these platforms uh, have the toxicity that we have and then we blame it on the algorithm or we blame it on the creator similar to capitalism which has structural problems but we blame the excesses of capitalism on the system or the fat cats at the top when it's like it's this is what human greed does it just yeah. doesn't give a damn about externalities and other people and it's operating inside of you and me both as well as the fat cat who just has higher leverage in many cases uh so yeah, like I don't know how we need like a limbic brain update. <laughs> we need like Neuralink. we need Neuralink to go in there and just be like care about externalities. You know what I mean? Like have some uh, degree of concern for the information pool, such that you don't put out titles like this when you don't deeply find it appropriate to the particular situation. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and it was just it was just interesting to see it come from Russell Brand, who I love and whose channel I still watch. Um, and so enjoy, but who I know if he were asked to think about that, he's made the same criticism of mainstream news, which is it's just meant to keep you in a state of fear and uncertainty and, uh, you know, what can you do? And I think this is the machine. The machine takes everything. It doesn't matter what, whether you're Eckhart Tolle or, or uh, Chris Cuomo, and it spits out <laughs> the same thing, and we're, we're subject to it as well. Um, there's a handful of other things we need to – you mentioned Brian Callen. You want me to mention some of the others or just go for questions? It. This is an attempt to rehash the lost episode. No, I'll take this one because this one, this one was in the moment. It was about Conor McGregor and um, his loss, which is now that's weeks and weeks in the past at this point. So let's just do questions. Well, I had one thing I thought was mildly oh, sure. interesting. Uh, the I had a lot, of, a lot of things coalescing at once. Um, one, I made that Ryan Reynolds video semi-recently and he talks about how he's funny because his house was so threatening to him with his father and his three older brothers he felt like he was walking on landmines and he was physically the weakest and so he had a lot of anxiety and he used humor to protect himself basically so this incredible charismatic humor that we all admire came from a situation that i think he would suggest people don't sign up for and then I watched this movie called Foxcatcher. Spoilers coming. Uh, I'll, I won't ruin the whole thing, but basically it's, uh, let's put it this way. It covers two gold medalists and a very wealthy guy, and at least one of the gold medalists and the very wealthy guy. There is nothing that you would want from their life if you knew it 
in depth. But if you saw it from the outside, you'd want the metal. One guy's from the, he's from the <laughs> DuPont family. It's the yeah. richest family in America. He has everything he could possibly desire. It, you would think it was something you'd want. And same thing with the gold medal. So like, oh my God, that's amazing. You don't realize he's going back to eat ramen noodles and his life sucks. Then I watched the, El I was on a flight. I watched the Elton John movie as well. And same thing, tons of drug problems. Both of his parents not loving him as far as he's concerned. Uh, it was just interesting because over and over and over, basically in the last week or two was just getting this message that all these people who you think have enviable lives, if you got under the curtain, you wouldn't trade for your own life at all. You would, you would keep yours in a heartbeat basically. Yeah. And uh, it's just a lesson that we always have to relearn. I feel like, especially as Americans, because we do have a culture that just teaches a lot of us at least to go for wealth, go for power, go for status. Oh my God, it'd be so incredible to be a rock star, to be a movie star, isn't that? And we, we very, very rarely, even though we know it intellectually, genuinely envy the person that just has a simple small house with a family that seems like they love each other while he's not crushing it in any other area in terms of the things that get us applauded on social media. And everyone can, you know that intellectually, you go, oh yeah, uh, that's obvious. But I think it's very hard to feel it. And I see a lot of people who know that money won't make them happy chasing money or who know that status won't make them happy chasing status in this almost weird, cultural, unthinking, unstoppable, <laughs> juggernaut type yeah. situation. And it was just interesting. I don't really have a takeaway except for that. I think we're, we're all admiring the wrong people. Just thinking if that's an inevitability of like progress, but... I'm thinking back to my time in Costa Rica where I spent a year in college. And I actually think that I don't remember people caring or wanting or seeing like the iPhones were just coming out and it was kind of cool that somebody had an iPhone, but it, it is, it is really, you mentioned the word cultural. It's not just humanity. No, I it think is it's a cultural thing yes. that is not universal. Yes. That, that's kind of was my impression. I think it is, and I, I talked about this last week, but we lost it, so whatever. I talked about this, I think it was Icelandic rock star, and then this American or English media company came to interview her, and she had a very small apartment. And they were asking her, "Why you could have so much money, or you do have so much money, why do you have this? And she said, this is what I need. What do you mean? It's got a yeah. kitchen, it's got a bathroom, it's got a bedroom, I live by myself, I'm not married. This is great, I love my neighbors, I'm good. And I think there might be some human, just biological desires for gathering resources but i think american culture takes it to the next level and uh i guess i'm saying i don't think we have to be that way but most americans i know that's how they're wired basically i didn't i'm just thinking i didn't know any finance majors in costa rica yeah it was who did i know i knew an architect who like designed houses i knew and if you don't have it and you're not pursuing it a lot of times you're resentful of it you're you're bitter about the wealth mm -hmm. you don't pity the billionaire you don't go man that billion dollars probably comes from some psychosis some inner misery this guy didn't stop when he had 100 million this guy's yeah. probably miserable i feel bad for him you know i mean i wish he would do something different with his money but geez must be a headache to be that guy you know that's not how even when you're not the person pursuing wealth often it comes with this bitter resentment as if they're they are better off and don't deserve it you know oh, they have the money and that makes them better off and i wish they didn't instead yeah. of this must suck yeah. To be this person that can't take their foot off the gas despite having the world at their fingertips. What a what a pitiable person. Yeah.
this might be trite and wrong, but I'm going to throw it out because I'm just thinking, like, why was Costa Rica this way? What did they have? And, and when I think of it, they had, like, strong family ties that extended to cousins and uncles mm-hmm. and all of that. That formed the backbone of what they strove for and wanted. And if their uncle had, a, like, a farm that was, you know, in, like, you know, they could go visit the farm, and that was the thing that they, they got to do. There wasn't – I just don't remember any – big materialistic dreams while I was there. One or two people, but it was just not very common. Well, first of all, I'm, I don't say And it say was this. from the guy who didn't have a good family. Now that I yeah, think yeah. about it. I, I say this with no judgment, but just more observationally. It is, it is what America tells Americans to be proud of. We're number one. We have the biggest economy. We have the biggest military. None of these things might be true, but it's just mm-hmm. sort of the biggest economy, biggest military, the best in the world. You know, you're just raised at a young age that, that's what makes us the best. And so I think that's what the country takes pride in. That's what the country tells the citizens to take pride in. So then how could you not apply that to yourself and go, okay, cool. You know, we just, the best, number one, the greatest, the most, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Costa Rica has that same underlying messaging. They're proud that they don't have an army. That's, that's the one thing. They're very proud of that. They're proud of their ecotourism. And this is too, most people that I spoke to were, were proud of those two things. Uh, and there's still human things where they have judgment towards uh, Nicaraguans. You know, the Nicaraguans, they treat, like some Americans treat Me- Mexicans who mm. immigrate and are too poor. So that's not, it's not like a post-capitalist. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, <laughs> and I want to just clarify, this is not to bash America at all. This is just something I, as an American who sees other Americans being miserable chasing this stuff, it's interesting how your front brain can know and agree and go, yeah, obviously money doesn't make you happy. And obviously fame doesn't make you happy, but then people still try to be rock stars. How many rock stars have to develop drug problems and kill <laughs> themselves before we realize this is not like you see the money, you see the fame, you go, I want that. An overwhelming number of them, depressed, suicidal, publicly miserable, doesn't get in there, doesn't dissuade anyone from yeah. wanting to go do it. Well, I have the same thing. I was, um, I'll tr- I, I've mentioned this that, and I don't want to, spoil any identities so let me think how i might say this um i know people don't use any gender a person who has received money from the covid relief and has received a lot of it Mm -hmm. and is in my opinion and i think if i shared the details many would agree spent it uh very poorly Mm -hmm. and the poor decisions that they're making are directly related to um addictive things that they have going on in Mm -hmm. their life. And I'm sorry for being vague, but, uh, and my instinct is anger and frustration at the, at the waste and you're taking from the community and, and all of this stuff. But what is not at all reflexive and immediate to me is like deep, deep pity because, Mm -hmm. okay, you got some money. Like, what has that done for you? Like nothing. And Mm -hmm. it's a bummer that it's being spent in a poor way because it could go potentially to increasing happiness. But, uh, yeah, that, that, I still have that same like, oh, you got money unfairly. That's you got a leg up, and it's like, no, you have no legs. You have you have got no legs at all. You are in a horrible, horrible subjective circumstance. Um, so yeah, I I I forget it constantly. Oh, I yeah. get angry. We do it all the time. I'm so glad the world has an Elon Musk because I think he's going to and has already done great things for the world. But it's so interesting to see the people that truly envy him and wish that they were him. Meanwhile. He had a very tough childhood, according to his book. He's gone through several wives and yeah, like apparently that. has not the best relationship with his kids and will tell you that he 
struggles to go to sleep some nights and works a hundred hours a week and is miserable and literally described his own life as heartbreaking multiple times throughout his life. And none of it gets in there. Mm -hmm. None of it can seep past the fact that he's the, he the, buys a big mansion, the real life Tony you know, Stark. Yeah. One, and one day he'll buy a $70 million mansion and yeah. it'll just be like, Oh, oh he's so, oh, so amazing. Yeah. Like I'm glad we have him, but I'm also glad I'm not, I don't have to live that. Mm hmm admittedly from his own mouth very difficult sad tragic existence yep uh yeah but it just doesn't get in there it doesn't seep into the psyche such that we really do feel bad for him instead of envying him how did you start what was the topic that made you think of this i did a ryan reynolds breakdown mm. and then on the flight back from philly i watched Foxcatcher, and it was it was it's really fucked up and so then i was like oh i want to watch something light so i decided to watch rocket man it's not light. Apparently, Elton John's <laughs> life is much harder than I yeah. knew. And so, yeah, just these three things of people who seem like they're killing it from afar. And then... I think as as I piece all this together, one of the... I think addiction is not widely acknowledged as to be as wide-spanning as it is. And I think... Nor is it acknowledged to be such a clear indicator of suffering. Mm -hmm. Because... You know, there's I, I this this might be apocryphal, but there's there was the guy who gave the TED talk about how the Vietnam, uh, I guess soldiers at the time, that's when they came back. So many of them did opioids when they were over in Vietnam, and they were like basically addicted to heroin, and mm -hmm. they came back, and so many of them kicked it. And the conclusion when he did a similar study with rats, where he put them in a small cage, and gave them I th I think opium, I don't know, if, or if it was some other cocaine. Yeah, it was rat heroin. It was like rat heroin, basically yeah. uh, water. Got him addicted, and they just kept taking the rat heroin water. And then when he gave him a larger cage to, with opportunities to socialize, they kicked it. Mm -hmm. um, and not recognizing that addiction is not just about the substance. And, you know, while the substance can be addictive and ruin your life, it's about the whole that predates the substance, mm -hmm. <laughs> that the substance comes in and fills, and how it allows you to avoid experiencing the pain of your yep. existence. Uh, and, and so that if you can recognize that addiction can be not just to drugs and alcohol, but also to work, mm -hmm. success, like sex. In my, sex, uh, validation. In my case, I think thinking like problem solving is an addiction that I mm -hmm. have that allows me to stay out of my body and in my head. Uh, when you see it for the wide spanning thing it is, you see that everyone is addicted and avoiding their life in a major way. But some people have smaller holes than other people. So, like, I can fill my void with thinking <laughs> and, and with... Instead of heroin. Instead of heroin. And some people need to uh, make not just one super successful business, but another. And we're going to have him. I'm super excited. Alex Hormozzi on the podcast in September. He's a business guy. He's made solid eight figures. I think he gives, gives great business advice. But I also want to talk to him about this because on his Instagram, he, he posted... Um, somebody was asking about his success and he basically said that I've been hyper competitive because I don't feel good enough. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason that I have so much money is because I have a big hole and I need a lot of money to fill it. <laughs> I respect his self-awareness. It's, it's great self-awareness. Like, it's like, he's like, maybe one day I'll be a monk, but right now I'm just trying to fill this big, big hole. Uh, so yeah, just, I guess, try to become aware of your addictions and and do what you can to sink into your life such that you can uh shrink that hole yeah. and and smaller addictions can be su suffice to to fill it and then maybe at one point you get to to the 
area where you don't need any addictions and you're, you're, you think when you ought to, you eat when you ought to, you work when you ought to, and you, you d- take a drink when you ought to, and you don't need to do any of that compulsively. So makes sense. Let's go to fan questions. One thing though, I do want to say Ryan Reynolds, not a drug addict. Elton mm-hmm. John was Ryan just had a traumatic childhood. I don't want to give anyone the impression that he, to my knowledge, also had a drug addiction. Mm-hmm. So let's do some fan questions. Nice. These are just rehashed from last week. Perfect. Maybe we'll have good oh. answers. <laughs> So the first one is, I have a question. How do you write the perfect university personal statement? I know it's been a while since you <laughs> yeah. went to university, but if you had to write a statement about your academic and personal success slash development, what would you include within it? I suppose the question is, how do you prioritize certain life events or moments that were defining for you that have been the most impactful? And how would you sum up these events in a way that is powerful to the reader, but on one page of writing? All right, we'll summarize what we had said. It's actually <laughs> genuinely hard to answer the same question twice. <laughs> it just pains you. It just feels like oh, I'm going to I'm just going to give a shorter answer. Yeah. Well, well I'll, it'll be more concise. So the, the point that I made is that you want to step into the minds of the admissions faculty mm-hmm. and realize that they're reading hundreds of these and you the worst thing you can do is blend in. So take a lot of your first instincts, which I'm imagining are like when my grandma died, that was a really tough time for me or when I won the sports game or the academic decathlon, like, and throw those right out the window because there's going to be dozens of those mm-hmm. and they're not going to stand out at all. Now, if you had a truly unique childhood and like in Mean Girls, you were raised in Namibia, go ahead and lean into that. Sure, I can think of a guy that <laughs> overcame bone marrow cancer. Yes. That uh, guy can probably just write about his life. Yes, so what you, what you want to think is, is this going to be the thing that tons of other people write about or not? And then yeah. Ben has a suggestion to get a bit creative. Well, you want to create emotion, I'd say. So the, you want to stand out. And I think one of the ways to do that is emotion. You're the bone marrow guy. You might be able to just move someone to tears with your story. You know, if you're like me and you didn't really have anything like that because you were lucky enough to not get bone marrow cancer, then how how do you stand out? What I decided to do for my essay to the University of Pennsylvania was I was given the prompt, write the 200, like show me page 200 of your autobiography. And so at first I said, okay, well, I'm 18. So that would put me at like 13. So what's the most interesting thing that happened to me at 13? Nothing. And what I decided to do instead was write it as if I was 60, which allowed me to make up a completely fictional story about how at age 35, I became the vice president of the United States to President Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then I threw in there a bunch of stuff that I thought would make them laugh. So I said, we, we are going into World War III against the axis of evil, England, Costa Rica. Like I just tried to pick the weirdest countries that would have an alliance against the US. And I said, and we are going with the allies, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, whatever. And I just tried to show that I had some political knowledge. I tried to be satirical. I tried to make the person laugh. And I think the reason I got in was partially because when you're reading about the greatest achievements of a bunch of boring 13 year olds, it's just funny to read this weird satirical thing about a guy running for vice president with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so I think whatever the prompt is, take whatever your first instinct is and then throw it away and think, how could I answer this question in a way that someone else won't, that makes me stand out in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. Like being funny is a positive way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, I think a lot of people take these college essays very seriously without acknowledging that now you're competing with everybody who wrote a serious essay, mm-hmm. which is everyone else. But if you try to write a funny essay, 2% of the kids did that. So if you can if you can hit that correctly, you're no, going to be someone who stands out. I Googled, why can't Arnold Schwarzenegger run for president? Oh, it's because of this constitutional law. So then I, I put in there, Arnold, who was able to finally run after getting 
the Senate or whoever it was, I Googled at the time, to amend the Constitution, blah, blah, blah. So I was showing a little bit of, I'm also not a moron, Mm -hmm. but I didn't actually tell them anything about my life. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's probably creative ways you can answer prompts that will make it so that someone is just a breath of fresh air when they read yours compared to everyone who's talking about the time they sit up to the bully in elementary (laughs) school. You know? Uh, next is people often find it difficult to break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend due to how formal the relationship is. Mm-hmm. If you are to stop seeing someone, you have to tell them, Hey, I don't want to see you anymore. Whereas in friendships, um, if you not want to hang out with a certain friend, you just don't hang out with them. No big dramatic. Hey, we're no longer friends as friendships also don't start off with the let's be friends. Do you think it's possible for one to start a romantic relationship in the same way? This would of course have to be done with without covert contracts and narrative honesty. Yes, you can. You can have a casual relationship with someone that has no expectations. Um, I believe what we came to last time is that when uh, the difference with a friend is there are not expectations necessarily of a certain amount of time or of exclusivity in that friendship. And so there there doesn't need to be any sort of overt, now we are friends unless you're six years old. Yeah, the, the, the reason that dating ends up being formalized is because often at least one party, if you are having sex with someone long enough and seeing them frequently enough, would like the other party to stop having sex with other people, which requires a conversation. And once you have that conversation and you agree that you're not going to have sex with other people, then before you can start having sex with other people, you have to have another formal conversation, basically ending that agreement, which is the breakup. So sure, you can try to shoot for this, but in my experience and experience of the people that I've seen around me, ultimately as a romantic sexual relationship continues over time, you often have one or both people that want the other person to stop seeing other people. And once you have that agreement, you have to have a breakup. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that that's why, because you need clearance to go. And actually, I'll, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll also say I've had relationships that were, I did open for a while. I had relationships that were open. And also after a certain point, people still expect that you will not just ghost on them. Mm-hmm. So if you are even non-exclusively seeing someone for a long period of time, there's just a, at least in the US, cultural expectation that you won't just disappear, disappear because you've been seeing this person on some sort of schedule, even if it's just every, even if it's just three times a month, but you do it for a year, you're part of that person's life and you fill a certain space in their mind or in their heart such that they will feel hurt if you don't have a conversation with them. I think that's the true of friends though, right? If you see a friend three times a month for a year and then just disappear, I think that would be... I think expectations a lot of times determine how someone feels at the end of a relationship. I can think of someone that I used to surf with all the time and then they got injured and we just stopped surfing. So we stopped seeing each other because yeah. that was the mechanism by which we hung out. But there were no hard feelings. But we've gone from seeing each other multiple times every month for many months to every month or six weeks or eight weeks, we'll get a lunch or something. This is another thing that's true of relationships. The exclusivity in relationships means that, okay, like, hey, maybe it was satisfying for that person to not be boyfriend, girlfriend with you, but see you three times a month for a period of time. But now if you want to step back and see them once every four months, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm going to, I need to go get this somewhere else. Cause there's some understanding of, uh, of exclusivity or non-exclusivity. And it's just not the same in friends. You don't mind if he goes surfing or eats lunch with someone else. Mm-hmm. Cause that's just not present. Yeah. 
but I, I guess what I'm saying is even if you are only seeing each other three times a month, if you try to fade away in a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship, unless the other person also feels like it's time to fade away, they are probably going to ask you what's going on. Yeah. Whereas this person got injured. We stopped surfing together. They weren't like, what's going on? Why don't we hang out? So, oh, we, we were always hanging out in the ocean. <laughs> Still watch movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's, I think. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of expectations plus the grand compromise where cool. someone wants exclusivity. Cool. Last one is, um, I'd like it if you spoke about the vaccine passports since they're rolling out where I am here in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you're pro or hesitant, I think the, bas- the passports are an infringement of rights, which you will never get back. I'm also concerned with the censorship of information, which history has shown us has never been good. The willingness of people to support it so blindly as long as it fits their narrative and the implications of it in the future. I also think the vaccine has become very polarizing and people have become very nasty to each other on social media because of it. Um, I value your opinion on these matters very highly and would love to hear your balanced perspective. Oh man, we talked about it at length and I don't want to abbreviate this one because it, it needs nuance. So I will try to do it. Uh, there are viruses out there and COVID might mutate into one. Like let's just take smallpox, the bubonic plague. Black where, plague. Let's go black plague. Isn't that bubonic, right? Yeah, yeah. Where it, killed a third, it killed a third of Europe. Where if you had a vaccine and there was a segment of society that didn't want it, but that meant that it could you know, continue to mutate and would kill people, that I would be in favor of a government mandating that vaccine. The Black Plague vaccine. The Black Plague vaccine, uh, given the uh, likelihood of death, the like inability to escape it, uh, all of these other sorts of things. So it's not a never for me, but I would not be for the government mandating that everyone take a flu vaccine because the flu does kill people, and, and having more vectors of transmission... Uh, we could reduce that if we had everyone get a vaccine. And though there still might be some deaths because vaccines are imperfect, we could really reduce them. I'm not for that. So somewhere between flu and bubonic plague, I grant the government, in my opinion, uh, the, the uh, moral authority to make that call. Where COVID stands today, in my opinion, though this, this is, I'm open to discussion, is not there yet from a governmental perspective. Um, Private businesses, I have think, should be able to check for any papers or any vaccine thing, and you can make any rule that you want. Look, I, if I can't go in wearing uh, a sleeveless shirt to a restaurant, you know, like, they they can make whatever rules they want if mm-hmm. I want to if I want to go to their establishment. Um, so I'm I'm in that sense, vaccine passports. I'm totally whatever the business owner wants. Uh, in order, then there's then there's the matter of vaccine passports to work in government agencies like the army or the pentagon or something like that i haven't thought deeply about that but i guess in those particular cases i treat it similar to a private business which is like look you've made the choice to work for this employer and yes it, it is as a public servant but like hopefully we have a society where you had an, you know another choice you didn't have to join the army you could have gone somewhere else um so that's Broadly, my stance. Anything that I've left out? No, I think it's well summarized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what, how do I think about the censoring of disinformation? Again, I think that there's times where, like, let's imagine the bubonic plague is ripping through and it kills 60% of people. And there's a segment of society that doesn't want people to get it and they're being very effective in their rhetoric to get people not to get vaccinated. I would. I, there is a world where I can imagine supporting the censorship of quote-unquote disinformation. Uh, that is a high bar, though, because that would be a lot of 
hubris to imagine that I or the people in power knew what was information and knew what was information because yesterday's disinformation can very quickly become today's, oh my gosh, we didn't realize, mm-hmm. like the lab leak theory. Or the uh, food pyramid. Or the food pyramid. And Ben and I, last time we did this, we went through them all. Like all the things that were totally Doctors fine for you. Doctors that used to recommend smoking cigarettes yeah. to help yeah. with anxiety. I love the food pyramid. 12 servings of white grains per day mm-hmm. is the basis of a balanced diet. Like <laughs> that it couldn't be more out of style today. And it might come back because we're not the, at the end of history. So just the idea that um, the quote unquote experts, and this is not to say this is um, not to say that experts might not know more on average than any individual, but it is wrong to say that the experts are always right. And sometimes people that are not experts have a particular thing right that is not held by the establishment expert community. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention that the perverse incentives that can enter into the funding and the education of the expert class, which Brett Weinstein talks about uh, in his podcast, and I won't go deep into here. So, yeah, I, I my bar for – I there is a level at which I go, you know what, uh, the bomb's going off and we don't have time to chit-chat about this uh, – censor and save the human race uh COVID's not there for me it's not anywhere near the the level of uh and and well and i recognize that people are going to burn down 5g towers i recognize that people like in a big society are going to do dumb horrible things based on being wrong well i think that one's gone now right that whole 5g start it causes coronavirus thing you know it look it could have happened zero times if we lived in china in totalitarian china where oh no i'm just saying that one was very in vogue and has, yes. go- has disappeared. Yeah. Listen, people will die because of misinformation. Mm-hmm. But the balance in my mind is that the, the, to believe that there is a class that has unique and special access to the truth is just wrong. And that while they might have it 90% of the time compared to everyone else, you can't throw out the 10% where they're wrong. That's where all progress lies. And I'm stealing this from Brett Weinstein. Um, but I, I very much agree. So you need to allow for discourse and you need to beat bad ideas with better ideas if they have good rhetoric, you need to figure out how to, uh, how to, how to speak more clearly, more effectively uh, to a wider audience. So mm-hmm. that's that's my general stance. Anything you want to add? No, I just want to reiterate. I do think that the private businesses can can require whatever vaccines they want. Yeah. If they want to require a flu, a vaccine, flu vaccine. They yeah. want to require a HPV vaccine. <laughs> that's that's a private business and. You want everybody to be on prep, which, you know, reduces yeah. your ability you to contract to HIV club. because if you bleed, you know, fine. Yeah, I think that that's hard to argue against. Yeah, freedom of association for a private business owner to say, I don't have to serve people that I think are going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Now, we did talk about how this can get, um, this gets messy because yeah. <laughs> we won't do that. All right, that's it. All right. Patreon. All right. No new questions. Well, I guess no new questions because yeah, there was no new episode new last week. Makes sense. <laughs> Makes sense. Checks We're out. Hop All over right. to Patreon so, now. So now we go spend an hour answering patron questions. I if, might spend more because we're behind. Uh, if you, you guys like the podcast, wanted to continue, we officially are getting a podcast bank account. So we really will know if this thing is self-sustaining <laughs> or not. If it's not self-sustaining, we will shut it down. But thanks to our patrons, we've been able to keep this going for a lot of episodes all that money goes to new microphones like this so we don't lose the audio or funding justin so that he can keep editing the video and being our producer so uh thank you patrons and now let's go answer their questions let's do it later
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.